Welcome to Apply Filters, the podcast all about WordPress development. Now, here's your hosts, Pippin Williamson and Brad Tunar. Welcome back to Apply Filters, episode 67. Today, Brad and I are going to go over some updates on things that we've been working on, and then we're going to jump into some mailbag questions from listeners that you guys have been kind enough to send us. First, however, if you're interested in sponsoring this show, uh, you can do so at applyfilters.fm slash sponsorship. It helps us to cover the production cost and to bring you this show and is greatly appreciated. And we can give you a little shout out for your team, your product, or your service. Brad, what have you guys been up to in the last couple of weeks? Uh, we've been testing our new product, MergeBot. Um, testing coming along well? Yeah, we've we picked you know some some snags, but no kind of major brick walls. I like to say, like we hit quite a few brick walls uh, throughout the year while we we're developing it, which really kind of slowed things down. But but yeah, the bugs have been relatively minor in comparison to those, and so we're just working through them. Uh, we started uh, working on uh, scaling, like thinking about scaling and and how that's that's all going to work. And so, yeah, it's coming along and we're getting really close to finishing up our internal testing. And Can getting... you elaborate a little bit how you're testing the scaling? I mean, because I'm assuming in this case, you're talking about like when you have a site that has a massive database. Yeah. So like if you have a massive database, that doesn't really matter because we don't store your whole database. We only store the changes that are made. Like as you make changes locally, we store those in our cloud app. So okay, so, so scaling in this case, like the number of changes that have to be done, the number of changes that have to be done, and the number of users that are uh, uploading those changes to our app, right? So the more people we bring on and are using it simultaneously. Oh right, I I forgot that you guys have the the hosted side of this. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so the, these queries are going to go up to our cloud app. That's actually kind of the problem. Is the the difficulty with scaling is writes. So database writes are hard to scale. Uh, reads are much easier to scale because you can you can have a master database, right? To to do the writes to the database, and then you can have clones that are read only. Um, so the master replicates to the clones. And so you can scale the read-only ones fairly easily, uh, but you can't really duplicate the master database. <laughs> so then you, then you have to get into what's called database sharding. But anyway, our plan is to, I think we can get away with using Amazon RDS uh, for quite, quite a while before we have to build out database sharding. So that's the plan: is to start start with uh, RDS and then scale scale the app as needed. I guess. Have you ever heard of database sharding before? I've heard of it several times. I'm not really familiar with it. Yeah, uh, I think I know the basic concept, uh, though I would be afraid of being horribly wrong if you asked me to explain it to you. Yeah, I, I'm not terribly well versed in it because I've never done it. But what from what I've read. It, so an example in the WordPress world is, you know how in WordPress, WordPress MU has like each set of tables has a different prefix? Yeah. Right. Theoretically, you could put 
you know, a set of tables on a different database server and then reference that server and that prefix on that server. So that's kind of the idea behind sharding. That's one way so of doing it. Splitting it up so that you are, the entire database isn't being on a, isn't on a single resource. You get a, split it up into little shards and so you can have it kind of offloaded. Right. And then, okay. and then, and then the app can reference the data on, you know, server X, Y, Z, you know, depending on where, where, where it's sitting. So yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's the basic idea of database sharding, but yeah, we're not going to do that right away. Uh, it's, that's, that's kind of like the next, next level stuff. Um, but anyway, we've been doing that and uh, we've been testing the 1.2 release of WP Offload S3, which is a big change for that plugin. Uh, we used to store the uh, Amazon S3 URLs in the database. So like if you uploaded uh, an image to your media library uh, and then inserted that into a post, the URL in the post would be like the Amazon S3 URL or the CloudFront URL or how, however you have it configured. Uh, but we're no longer doing that. We're no longer st storing the, that URL in the post content. Uh, we're going to instead use filtering to change it on the fly. Which um, I believe is, we talked about uh, quite a while back on yeah. the, some of the pros and cons of doing that. Yeah. And yeah, we, we had a debate about it and stuff. And anyway, we're, we're well down that path. I think we started like six months ago to working on this. So have you been able to uh, definitively prove that one is faster than the other? Oh yeah. It's, it's definitely, it's definitely better to do it the way we're, we're changing it to because for example, like let's say you change a, a set, one of your settings that affects the URLs. Well, right now we have to do a find and replace on all your content. So if you have like 10,000 posts and an equal number of media library items, that's going to take a really long time to go through all that to do the find and replace. Uh, whereas with this new system, it's instant because, because we don't have to run that find and replace and we're doing it on the fly. We just, you change your settings and they take effect immediately. So would I, would I be right in saying that that will be uh, minutely slower for loading a page that has those resources on it. But in terms of the overall server resources and, and usage, it's significantly faster. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's barely even significant because the, I mean, there's already filtering going on in WordPress. So this is just like another little tack on to that, really. You think about short codes, um, responsive images, like all that stuff is filtering. The important point is to have caching in place and not, and not have every request have to run all this filtering. Caching is, is uh, important to, to, for better performance here. And I, I've also been spending a lot of my time on the redesign uh, of our site. That's kind of what's been tying me up. I also wrote an article about MergeBot um, and, and how it would work and posted that on our blog a couple weeks ago. Go back one step. You said you guys are doing a site redesign. Yeah. Um, are, are you doing the site redesign? Is it someone else in-house? Are you shipping that out to someone? 
yeah, we had, so I hired a designer to design it, and then I hired a front-end coder to, you know, cut it up uh, into responsive uh, design. And then now we're applying that to our WordPress theme. We're doing that part ourselves, and it's taking a long time. <laughs> and it mostly, a lot of it, um, so I just went through all of the my account stuff, like the checkout, like the designer didn't design any of that. So I've been kind of, you know, using his design as a guide and yeah. and just applying we've, it. We've been in the process of, of redoing the affiliate WP site and always forget just how big that project is. Like any, any project when you rebuild a site. Uh, oh, man, it's so crazy. <laughs> I don't think I've really talked to Andrew in months <laughs> because he's been just been in in his in his zone building this site. And it takes forever. It's just there's so many pieces. Yeah. I'd like to eventually have like dedicated members of the team to to the site, just to the site. So or or so their their full-time job wouldn't be just working on the site. I think that would they'd run out of you know, run out of work. But maybe like But that, you, maybe like that is like they own that. Yeah. It's like, you know, half of their time or something will be spent yeah. working on the site. We've, we've done that with both Andrew and Sean. Uh, right. across our four four to five sites and i think it works really really well yeah i'm looking forward to that <laughs> because right now it's just me and as much time as i can steal from ian polson who's also working on MergeBot, and we're like you know so it's yeah it's kind of crazy right now to to be pushing to like we're pushing MergeBot forward but i also want to get the redesign out and it's just competing priorities that are both high <laughs> so yeah mergebot has been kind of edging over uh, the redesign so but you know once once mergebot is is out i'm sure a lot of that time will get freed up oh yeah i'm sure once mergebot is out there'll be nothing to uh, to do on it after that <laughs> it, it's I, I as much as i'd love to believe that it's yeah oh that's never going to happen but but at least like at least you should be over the hurdle of like the the massive development of building the dang thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I think once we have paying customers for MergeBot, it'll be, you know, we're gonna have to start hiring probably and, and start scaling up that part of the business. But I mean that's gonna that's gonna take resources to do as well, right? So it's like a chicken and egg problem. Couple other articles that we published on our blog that are to to take a look at. Uh, Ash wrote an article that a CDN isn't a silver bullet for performance, and the reason that he wrote that is because we were getting a lot of people buying uh, WP Offload S3, thinking that it was going to magically like make their site super fast, but they're you know running their site on you know not great web hosting. <laughs> And, and like doing a lot of things that they could have, right. you know, fixed to, to it will it will it is an it is an improvement, but it is not a be all end all of site performance. Yeah, th there's a lot of things you should do before you bother investing in a CDN. Like there's there's tons of stuff, and so Ash lays that all out in that article, uh, so that we can now we can point people to that when when they come to us thinking we're going to solve their their site performance issues. <laughs> That's a really great article. Um, it's going to help us out. And uh, Gilbert uh, told a story about his side project. So web uptime. 
his article was about scaling a cron, uh, so checking hundreds of sites every minute using cron. One of the things I had no idea about is that uh, with curl, you can allow it to like fire off a bunch of asynchronous requests in one one call. I had no idea. Did you did you know about that? I do a little bit. I haven't played with it, but I was I was skimming the article, um, and and I think that this is related to some of the improvements that were being put into WordPress 4.6 with the WP HTTP API. So WordPress core replaced the HTTP class with a request library that... Um, Ryan McHugh, yeah. Ryan McHugh, there we go, that's the name I was looking for, uh, that he wrote. Uh, and I believe it works kind of similar to this where it allows you to do, a, do asynchronous requests um, because that was one of the big benefits of of that improvement that they put into core. Uh, and so that was the first time I had ever heard of it. And then this is now the second time. So in WordPress 4.6, uh, the request class got included into core. And I think all of the HTTP stuff is kind of proxying to that library now. Have you had any issues with that? We've we've been running into a few issues. I haven't seen anything that we've definitively uh, tracked down to be due to that. Uh, we have had a couple of weird issues uh, where like, all of a sudden requests don't work to somebody. For example, we have a customer using MailChimp and suddenly their request to MailChimp don't work. And they, they just get like a 500 error coming back. We haven't tracked it down, but the speculation was that it might be related to those changes. Right. We're, we're still trying to figure out the problems. It seems like a lot of our Australian customers are having problems for some reason. I don't know if it's you know a certain host in Australia or something to do with DNS in Australia or, or what. Um, we're still trying to figure it out, uh, but it's, it's a weird one. Otherwise, it would be an easy one. So anyways, what have you been up to? Just like usual for the last five months, we've been cranking out some more RCP updates. My, my focus really for the last few months has been to rebuild RCP into a, a premier product that stands on its own and is kind of at the same level as affiliate WP and EDD. And anyway, uh, just two or a few days ago, we released one of the next big updates that is moving us further in that direction. And that was uh, group accounts. So we released a new pro add-on called RCP group accounts that it, it allows organizations uh, whether you are a school, a corporation, a small team, or whatever, to buy an account on, on a membership website and then add sub-members to that account. So let's say that I'm a teacher. I want to buy access to an education course for all the students in my class. I, as a teacher, would go register an account, and then I can add all of my students to that account. Um, and then they are linked directly to my account. So when my account expires, they expire. If I upgrade my account, they get those those privileges as well, but they don't. The sub members don't have any billing. They don't have anything like that. And so we released that, and that's something that we've been working on for quite a while. It's actually I've been working on it a little bit in in some form or other for about two years now. I originally built it for CG Cookie, my brother's website, for that exact purpose of them being able to sell school accounts, basically. Um, and then it, it sat for a while, and then about a month ago, we brought it back and started working on it to make a standalone plugin that we could release. And so we released it, uh, and so far the feedback's been really positive on that. And then immediately after that, um, that was kind of the 
one of the last add-ons that we felt like we needed to build in order to get RCP up to where we wanted it to be. So once we had that, now we're kind of at that point where now we just want to go through and polish and, and improve improve all the existing features as opposed to building a bunch of new ones. Because the last five months have been basically cranking out all of the features that we've been missing for a long time that it, that the plugin needed in order to be a full uh, full scale membership platform. So immediately after the, the group accounts update went out, I published a blog post uh, titled Rebuilding the Dying Product. And it was just a little bit of a backstory of how took RCP had kind of it, it's one of my oldest plugins that launched in January 2012, so it's uh, a little over four years old, or maybe it was 2011. And how it was, it did really, really w well for me for a long time. And then as EDD and AffiliateWP kind of came around, and they started taking up much more of my focus, RCP started to lose focus and very much became the side project as opposed to a, in, as opposed to one of the like the primary projects that we work on. And because of that, sales dwindled, customer happiness dwindled. Basically, the product started to make its way towards the grave. And so this blog post was a little bit of the backstory on how we decided we, we had to either sell it, let it die, or rebuild it. And so we decided to rebuild it and some of the things involved with rebuilding that. I mean, we've got a long way to go, but so far it's been, been successful. Uh, we are... Uh, in two or three weeks, we will be at the six month mark. Um, and my original goal was to double the pro double the plugins revenue in six months. Uh, we're not quite there, but we got to about 1.6. Uh, and it's it's still steadily going up. So, so far it's, it's being successful, I think. What, was this like a really, like your number one uh, requested feature or... Um, uh, group accounts wasn't the, it's not the number one requested feature, but it was very, it was frequently requested. But the, one of the, the important things about group accounts is that nobody does it. There's only one other plugin, I think, that offers group accounts, and that's iThemes Exchange. Uh, there might be one other that I'm forgetting, but it's a rare feature. But the, the thing is, is that for the people that need it, you can't do without it. Like you have to have that feature. Um, and so it, it is a fundamental feature for a large set of users, those being schools, organizations, corporations, et cetera. Take, take a school, for example. The last thing they want to do is have every single one of their students buy a separate account and then have to remember to get all of those canceled or make sure that they are all up to date with the billing or what have you. They want one. And the same goes for corporations. Like you, you just management of those of those financials is extremely important. And so if you can limit that to, to one account that then grants access to everybody else, that's going to be much better than trying to have everybody have their own or to share a login. Because the other thing here is that be, because each member technically has their own account that falls underneath the umbrella, uh, they all have their own logins, their own passwords, et cetera. It's a, it's a really important feature for, for a small set of users. There was a lot of other features that that I've talked a little bit about in previous episodes that we built as well, but this was kind of a, one of the last ones on our our bucket list that we had to build. Well, actually, we have we have one more coming up, but it might be a little bit longer. So, other than that, uh, we are approaching our first beta version of Affiliate WP 1.9, which is a pretty exciting release for us. Um, there's a lot of cool things in it. We were our original plan was to start internally beta testing it by putting it on our live sites yesterday. That didn't quite happen, so that'll probably be either today or tomorrow. 
Um, but there's a lot of things that we've done in this that I'm really excited for, for what they give, uh, allow in the future. So the first one is we built a complete REST API. Well, we, we built a read-only REST API. We haven't done the right side yet. And it, it's a REST API that extends the, the WordPress core endpoints and it's working really, really well. We, we decided we didn't like the idea of requiring our customers to use OAuth or basic auth um, for one, because OAuth is just ridiculously difficult to get up and going as a consumer. And basic auth is just not very secure. And so what we, what we end up doing is building a custom authentication method using uh, API keys, similar to based off of what we built in ED three years ago. And that was a lot of fun. And then that API also extends a, a new internal uh, data structure that we built. We built uh, new objects for all of our, our database schemas. So we, we have affiliates, we have referrals, we have visits, creatives, and payouts. And so we, just, we built uh, new objects for all of those, which we had never had before. We had never had a formal object for those in Affiliate MP, and we built those for 1.9, and which then led into building the REST API very easily. Uh, nice. Yeah, it feels good to to get things that you know objects for everything. Oh, it? absolutely. Yeah. Um, that also allowed us to then very easily build WP CLI commands, and so now we have CLI commands that allow you to interact with all of those four objects uh, from command line. We also introduced a, a new object uh, for payouts. So right now, or up until 1.9, if you if you pay your affiliate accounts. Uh, let's say that you pay five people X number of dollars, those payouts get sent to them, but there was no real record stored in Affiliate WP that said, these commissions were paid at this date in, for this sum amount to these affiliates. So there was no record of those transactions going out. And so now there, so we built a new payout logs system. It's not only a database schema and an object, but it's also a full UI that allows you to see those logs, allows the affiliates to see their the logs of their payouts that they've received, et cetera. Um, so it was one step in the, in getting better reporting in Affiliate WP. There was a lot of other, a lot of other things that we added, uh, such as, for example, unit test. I think Drew added probably close to either 100 or 200 unit tests in this version. Um, basically, everything that got added, the new objects, the new REST API, the payout logs, the CLI commands, et cetera, all got unit tests as well as a back, um, doing a bunch of unit tests for stuff that didn't have them before. So our coverage has gone up significantly. Uh, and then the last thing that, that we've done so far, one of the last things is a PayPal standard integration. So PayPal has been around for a really long time. <laughs> one thing that we've never had in Affiliate MP is a direct integration that allows somebody to put a PayPal button on their site and then track affiliate commissions for that. Uh, I never thought that that would be a super requested feature is requested every single week for the last two years. Uh, and so we, we finally got it built and it works and it's pretty cool. Three other really quick updates. So we're doing software licensing for easy digital downloads is approaching a new major version as well for version 3.5. One of the things that we started to do in EDD as the plugins have aged is we started to go back to some of our primary plugins and start basically taking three months and really focusing on that plugin to address a lot of the pain points that we've accumulated over three years, uh, do a bunch of improvements, kind of relook at it, rethink about the plugin. We did this with the recurring payments plugin. Now we're going to do it with the software licensing plugin. And so here in a, in a month or so, uh, 3.5 will be out and it's going to be pretty sweet. Uh, 
What's kind of like the the focus of three five? Is there is there any focus yet? There, there's a couple of focuses. So number one is to rework the UI. Uh, so there's there's been a lot of aspects of the UI of software licensing that have that are very dated and have shown that the plugin obviously started as a much simpler beast and has grown a lot. And right. a lot of oh. pieces were just kind of tacked on. You are you you uh, posted a teaser screenshot on I Twitter. I just remembered that. Yeah. Yes. So, for example, one of the things that software licensing has never had is this idea of a an admin view of a single license. So, there's a lot of things associated with a license. There's a there's a purchase record. There's activation limits. There's a history of all the URLs or the machine IDs. There's a log of events, there's related payments, there's upgrade paths, there's renewal dates, there's delete buttons, renew buttons, et cetera, all of these different things. And none of that has ever had a formal, like single details page. It's all always been inside of a single list table with a couple of little weird side screens. And so we've taken all of that and rebuilt this details page for individual license keys that allow you to see all of that information and access it all um, from a, a much more intuitive interface. Um, that's one of the big things in 3.5. There's, there's a couple of others that we're really hoping to get to. We don't know if they will yet. And one of those is version tracking. So uh, software licensing is primarily used for distributing up for selling uh, software that, and then distributing updates to those customers. The, the software that's being, that's utilizing the API, it could be a WordPress plugin, it could be a desktop software, it could be anything, will call the store server and ask for version information. And then the store will send back the version and say, okay, the current version is 3.5. The customer side will say, well, I have 3.4, so I need an update. What we've never done is had any kind of logging for those update requests so that store admins can see a breakdown of versions that are installed by customers. So for example, if you go to wordpress.org, you can go to the developers tab and it will show you a graph that shows you the percentages of the versions. So 50% is on 3.5, 20% is on 3.4, et cetera. We want to offer that. And so we're hoping to build that into 3.5. Is that kind of the idea of logging those, those requests so that we can build this view of to know what your customers are running. And another big improvement that we want to make is the underlying data schema we're in the process of moving all of this data that has been stored into WP Post and PostMeta into custom tables. And 3.5 is hopefully going to be the version that makes that, that first set of changes. So it'll introduce a new license object. It'll introduce a few things like that and a whole bunch of backwards compatibility layers. And then the, the last thing that we've been, we've been working on for a while is a new version of our EDD iOS app. So we have, a, we have this iOS app that allows you to view your stats for your EDD store. So you can see your sales, your earnings, your customers, your products, et cetera. We're building a whole new version of that. That should be a pretty nice and welcome update that we're pretty excited for. And we should have teasers for that coming pretty soon. Cool. I'll, uh, we'll link up the screenshot teaser of the EDD software licensing add-on. If anyone's interested in seeing that, uh, we'll link up the, the tweet that, that you posted. Cool. All right. Um, should we jump into some of our mailbag questions? I know we've got a few left over from a few weeks ago. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's start with a question from James Kemp. He asks, I'd be interested to know your marketing tips for plugin authors. Do you want to take a crack at this one, Pippin? Or maybe we, should we just talk about kind of our marketing 
experience? Yeah, I, I think, so far? well, I mean, okay, I'll, I'll say this for myself and I don't know if, if you would echo this or not, but any, any, any advice that I'm going to give you when it comes to marketing is based purely on my own experiences on what I've done and what worked and what didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll echo that, that. Yes. Okay. Uh, same, so with same that, thing. take it with a grain of salt. Uh, I don't think either one of us, and I know for sure me, are not marketers. And sometimes people will tell tell me that we have successfully marketed our products, and I think that that's mostly a happy accident. Uh, so this is mostly me looking back and thinking, well, I think that probably worked well. I, th- I think I, I do think that you just touched on something important there, though that that m- making a great product is itself marketing, right? If you make if you make a great product, it will spread. Through. It's also known as word of mouth marketing. Uh, but but for word of mouth marketing to work, you need a great product. I mean, uh, Seth Godin talks about that in I think it's called Purple Cow, his book Purple, Purple Cow, which I highly recommend reading. Um, it, it just it's a great Seth Godin's a great uh, marketer to to read if you're. If you're interested in learning about marketing. Yeah. Um, so I, I think you're absolutely right that number one, you have to have a great product. I, I, we do have to be careful, I think, and, and make sure that we're not saying just because you have a great product does not mean you will succeed. Because unfortunately, that's not the truth. It would be cool if it was. But there, there's a few things that, that I've done uh, looking back that I think were successful. Number one, uh, and, and this is the same answer that I gave somebody who sent me an email a few days ago is, I think you need to write and you need to write a lot and you need to put it out there and you need to write more. And then when you're tired, write some more. So it basically coming down to content marketing. And when I look back on the last five years of, of this business in the first two years or so, I wrote extensively. I wrote on my blog. I wrote on other blogs. I did guest posts. I, um, I just, I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. And a lot of that was, fell on deaf, on deaf ears. A lot of it never got seen. A lot of it was never read. But what it did do is it basically was a disbursement of information throughout the internet that made it such suddenly that if somebody was looking at our, looking at one of the products, they would see, see my name and they would say, Hey, well, Hey, I remember that because I saw a blog post two weeks ago. And when you write enough and you get enough information out there, that will start to happen. It might take a really freaking long time for it to happen, but it will happen. And, and that doesn't just have to be writing on your own product. It could be writing on any subject. Basically, you want to get enough good information out there that people start to recognize you and then also start to recognize you as being knowledgeable in, in your field, in whatever it is. And I think that can be tremendously helpful. Um, and, and frankly, I think that if I hadn't done that, I don't think we would be where we are today. Yeah. Um, so that'd be my number one. Building an audience is super important and that's a really good way to do it. Um, it's, it's I just think I should add that I don't think you have to, it doesn't just have to be blogs. It can be Twitter. It can be Facebook. It's information anywhere and everywhere. Yeah. So one, one thing I will add to that is don't just write and publish. I mean, that is great to, that you're doing that. But if you don't capture your audience, right, you can't, it's hard to get them to keep coming back, right? They'll just, you don't want to rely on people stumbling upon your writing through Google searches. 
you right. want you to, to have a purpose for your writing. Yes. And you need, need to build an email list and email people when you, when you publish a new article and have them keep coming back. I think you should also try to define who your audience is. So like for me, when I was starting, my audience was plugin developers because I wanted to teach other people how to write plugins. And so that was my only focus was plugin authors. Now that might not be your focus. That might not be your customer base, but it, that was mine. And so figure out who your audience is and, and target them specifically. Don't, don't just write random stuff. I mean, you can have a random blog. That's great. I love random blogs. But for building your product, you need to have a focus. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and you, you have to speak the language of your audience. I mean, that's why, I mean, we sell to developers. So it's fairly easy for us developers to, because we speak the same language as our customers. So yeah, And you're not, you're not talking about spoken language. You mean like we're talking in code, we're talking tech, we're doing very like those kind of subjects, not English versus Mandarin versus. Well, that, that, and for example, like when we write an article, we don't dumb it down, right? We, we, we write it for technically, you know, inclined developers, right? We're, we're using acronyms. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're assuming kind of a base level of, um, experience and knowledge with development because i mean we, some of the articles we write are pretty technical right by doing that you do alienate a large group but you don't want to write for everyone right you want you want you want to get a passionate kind of small audience <laughs> i'd rather have a small audience that's passionate about what we do than have than appeal to kind of everyone and have everyone kind of be like eh they're all right you know, so that anyway, that's just my thoughts on. Well, you know, it's it's actually the same thing that we've decided to do with this podcast. Uh, I mean, when when you and I were first discussing doing this, we we thought, OK, should we try to have a just general WordPress? Should we focus it to development? Should we focus it to product development? What should we do? We decided that it should be development focus and we will alienate a lot of people. And that's OK. Yeah, absolutely. By figuring out who your audience is and speaking to them directly, it allows you to have a much better conversation with them. Yeah, absolutely. You, you can't talk to everybody at the same time. Yeah. And I think that absolutely plays into the success of your marketing. Right. Uh, do you have any other good tips for James? And uh, well, I'll just share kind of how I've started marketing in the beginning. Um, so, WP Migrate DB was a free plugin on WordPress.org that I'd thrown up there. I built it for myself when I was working at an agency. Just threw it on .org and just sit. I didn't do anything with it. It just sat there and kind of, you know, three or four years went by and people kind of stumbled upon it um, on the, the repository. And at some a certain point, I think it was 2011, uh, probably the tail end of 2011 or the tail end of 2012, I decided to make it into a business. And the first thing I did was I added a sidebar into the plugin with a question, pro version, question mark. And it said, would you be interested in a pro version that allowed you to push and pull your database? You know, just the basic features of the pro version and yes or no, and a submit button. And when you hit yes, 
And then it slid down and it asked you like how much you'd be willing to pay and asked you for your email address. So this was a way early on to build my email list so that when we, well, first of all, figure out if a pro version is even anyone's interested in it at all. But then also build an email list so that when I do build a pro version and launch it, I have people to email about that. I, I was not a writer. At the, I, I had a blog, but I didn't write very often. And so this was a way for me to build my audience without writing, basically. So it's kind of another, a different approach. Um, and, it, and it worked quite well. It was, I think the list was about 300 people at launch time. And so it wasn't big, but it was enough to generate traction, generate some buzz and, and kind of grew from there. A, uh, a small little testament to that working is I'm pretty sure I was on that initial list and I bought it immediately after you sent that first email. Right. And you tweeted it, which was a huge, uh, a huge help. Uh, and a bunch of people that bought early like that tweeted about it as well. And it, it generated this buzz. And and so, yeah, it's it, it worked out. I mean, I'm not promising that it's going to work for everyone. <laughs> Let's be clear about that. Uh, but it, it can work. So, yeah. Anyway, we could probably do a dozen episodes of this podcast just about marketing because there's it's a huge it's a huge topic. Well, and it's something that we're constantly learning too. Yeah, I exactly. Mean, I, I know that we've mentioned this a few times, but neither of us are even remotely trained in what we do, like aside from self training. And so everything from the marketing to the development to to everything involved with our, our product businesses is, is all self-learned and self-taught and trial and error and observation. So I don't know, maybe my last tip for it would just be keep your eyes open and be willing to try everything. Just, just because Brad says this works or Pippin says this works or so-and-so says this works doesn't mean it will work. And just because someone says that this one doesn't work, doesn't mean it will, it will also work for you. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's what, what I do is I experiment. That's, yeah. I run experiments, and if it works, then I do keep doing it. And if it doesn't work, I try another experiment. I think that's, this is a proper time to mention you should also try A-B testing. Yeah, A-B, I, A-B I've... Which we should, we should talk, talk about in depth at some point. Yeah, I, I have a love-hate relationship with A-B testing. Mostly hate. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's move on. So we got one more question here to get through. This comes from Daniel Pawnee. Uh, apologize if I pronounce your last name wrong. I'll, I'll preface this with a quick backstory. So a, f- a few weeks ago, we were looking at uh, finances and we were looking at how we had done for the summer. And summer was kind of tough f- for us. Summer was very, very slow. Uh, May, June, July, et cetera, was, was a pretty slow period for all of our websites. Uh, and so it reminded me that making sure that you manage your cash flow properly is important. So I sent out a tweet saying something like having a cushion in the bank is a great way to get through the slow summer months. And Daniel responded with a, with a kind of a question. And he said, I just saw a tweet from Pippin having a cushion cash flow for slow periods. I'm from Australia and have noticed less than usual sales of my product, which I've worked out is probably due to Independence Days and holidays in the U.S., I'd be interested to hear your sales trends and when do you see spikes or things slow down? Example, after major releases, addition of a new add-on, new affiliates, public holidays, special discounts or promotions, busiest times of day, et cetera. So we've kind of got a couple of questions in here. Maybe uh, the first one is 
What kind of sales trends do you notice, Brad? Yeah, uh, well, let's start, I guess, with the uh, macro, I guess. <laughs> so I think seasons are that are slow are kind of the, the height of the summer is slow. So for July, July was quite slow for us. This month hasn't hasn't been super either. Um, so, you know, it's July, August. That's the height of the summer. And then Christmas holidays period is very slow for us. And, and even the time leading into it. So, you know, November, kind of late November can start to slow down. And usually mid-January, right up to mid-January is, is slow for us as well. But that's about it for like the annual kind of seasons of slowness. Is that, is that what you experience as well? Pippen? Yeah, I would I'd pretty much echo that with the, the biggest one being summer. So like for, for us, it was it was June through July was really slow. And then August started to pick back up. I don't mean just a little slow. I mean, like, oh, my gosh, what are we doing wrong? How do we fix this? The website's broken. <laughs> yeah. Like you start, you start worrying and I like, there's gotta be something. People must be getting errors on checkout. What is going wrong? And it's, it's just cause it's slow. And, and, and I mean, ultimately I think it comes down to people are taking vacations in summer. People are, they're out having fun. They're going to the lake. They're, they're spending time with family and friends. They're not interested in, I mean, maybe they're interested, but they're not spending as much time in, in the office or building their business or working for a, working for their employer or what have you. Now, what's interesting to me is, and, and maybe this is because the U.S. constitutes a majority of our customer base, but we don't see major slowdowns when it's summer on the other half of the world. At least not that we notice. And, and I, I think that has to do with the percentage of the customer base. While we have customers all, all around the world, I, a majority of our customers are in the U.S. Canada area. Um, right. That would be my speculation. Now, if we if we zoom down kind of to the micro level, like on a weekly basis, like where are the slow slow times, that's exactly right as well. It, it follows the U.S. Uh, kind of business hours for us anyway. Is we usually have kind of the majority of our sales between kind of the nine to nine to five hours, and then uh, and then it kind of slows down in the evenings. And the weekends are very slow. Uh, for for us generally, um, we see like you know fifty percent less day sales on a even probably less than that uh, on a on a weekend versus a versus a, a weekend day versus a weekday. So yeah, we see exactly the same trends. Yeah, so that's normal. You, you just learn to live with it. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, Daniel mentioned that he tends to see or thinks he sees slower sales during U.S. holidays. Do you notice that as well, being yes. Canadian business? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do notice that. Um, the majority of our customers are, are U.S.-based as okay. well. So do you see a sim similar slowdown for Canadian holidays? No, not at all. Uh, the Fascinating. Can Canadian, our Canadian customers are like a very small percentage of our overall customer base. They're, they're probably five, less than 5%. <laughs> of our customers yeah so australia canada germany is actually a much higher uh has has a much higher share of our, our customer base than canada australia uh uk is up there somewhere too uh but yeah it, it's the u.s is by far the highest and then and so we do notice after major releases there is 
tends to be an increase uh, in sales, especially for renewals and upgrades. Uh, so if we release another version, a new version with some new features or something, and you have an expired license, you don't you don't have access to the to the new zip file. So people upgrade or 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 renew their license at that time when we when we release a new version. Yeah, we do the exact same thing. Yeah, so that's you know it's kind of it kind of makes sense, right? Like yeah. it just yeah. So I uh, I think the the other part to D- Daniel's question, which is kind of insinuate, is how do you how do you deal with those those slow periods? So a one day dip in sales is not a big deal, but what if you have a month long period where your sales decline by twenty percent? How do you guys deal with that? Uh, well, we have a cushion in the bank. Uh, I don't know exactly how much of our kind of expenses it is. It's probably. Uh, like a month or two of expenses. I know I've heard um, Joel from Buffer say that they're going to be putting six months. They're going to try build a cushion of six months of expenses, uh, which for me, I think that's crazy. <laughs> I'm willing to I'm willing to operate with a bit more uh, risk uh, than that. Um, yeah, six months of expenses is a lot of money to have in the bank. And uh, if if your company went it made zero sales all of a sudden, you know, like how long can you survive? And that's, I mean, that's an unrealistic scenario, right? Like if that happens, that's like an asteroid strike kind of scenario, <laughs> you know, like I don't, I don't see, but anyways, I think it's just, I think they're using that as kind of a, a, it's, it's a baseline. Yeah. A, exactly. a more realistic scenario would be, okay, what if, what if you suddenly for the next two years lose 20% of your business? How long mm-hmm. can you operate at your current expense level, basically? I mean, I mean that's a catastrophic failure, though, in my opinion. And if that if it did come to that, you have to reevaluate like what the hell you're doing, like, and and potentially restructure your business and like take drastic action, right? So I'm not sure that having cash in the bank is necessarily going to be like the fix for that for that scenario. Um, and that's why I thought, no, but I think what, what it really is, is it is, it's the cushion that allows you to figure out what the fix is. Right. Right. It gives you that runway to, to kind of pivot or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes sense. I, I guess it just really depends on what you're comfortable with. What do you, what are you guys, uh, looking? Uh, uh, so right now we keep, uh, for the, for the last, you know, it hasn't always, it hasn't been the same for the last two years because we've, we've grown a lot in terms of expenses and, and revenue and team members. But right, right now we have about two months of cash on hand and that, w- that we keep there intentionally to, to deal with slower periods. And ultimately, one of, one of our, our goals is to, number one, make sure that if, if things go south for a while, that we don't miss payroll for team members. And, and that's, one, that's one of the things that cushion is there for. Two is you wanna make sure that you have cash on hand if it comes time that you realize we want to make a significant investment and we want to be able to do that, that's another great reason to have that cash on hand. And, and then also that catastrophic event, whatever it is, we would like to be covered at least for a little while so we can try to figure things out. Is that likely to happen? No, probably not. But I, it's, it's kind of like insurance. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I completely agree. Yeah, I, I think like, are you going to look to build a bigger cushion, or are you happy with two two months? Like, I would, f- I'd like to get three or five months. 
three five. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, okay. Here's one of the big reasons that I I like to have a cushion more so than to support us if all sales go away. It's it's being able to scale up and add new team members. So, for example, before I ever hired my first employee, I, I decided I was going to have their salary in the bank for a year to guarantee that they were paid um, no matter what. And then I want to do that with employee number two and employee number three. It gets a little bit harder as you get up to employees six, seven, eight, nine, ten, et cetera, um, because that is a lot more. But I wanted to ensure their security. What I also want to be able to do is to say, all right, we need to scale up and maybe we don't have enough revenue right now to cover the monthly expenses of adding another team member, but we have the cash on hand to be able to pay them. And then bringing them on is going to help us grow to cover their payroll. But for the first three months, we might be taking a small loss, but we have that cash flow on hand to be able to do that. Um, and I think that's a really important aspect that maybe is sometimes overlooked. I would, I would say that that falls under investment in, in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's an investment that's uh, in, into the growth of your business. So, right. yeah. Right. Makes it's, sense. It's very, I think one of the, the challenges that a lot of people run into is, is they recognize that they need to scale up their team because they're overworked, they're, they're burning out or they're, they're overburdened or uh, something like that. But they don't have the resources to be able to bring that team member on. They have to first grow to bring that team member on. But you can't grow until you bring a team member on. And, and so then you have to start figuring out ways to get around it. Maybe you don't pay yourself for six months or you live off of your savings or you somehow encourage them to come on with zero pay or, or very little pay or what have you. And so if you, can, if you can be proactive and start getting a little bit more money in the bank every single month, when it comes time to scale up that team, it's going to be a whole lot easier. Right. Absolutely. Well, should we wrap it up? Yeah, I think now's a good time. All right. Uh, just give one more quick shout out. Uh, if you are interested in sponsoring this episode, you can go or future episodes, sorry, you can go to applyfilters.fm slash sponsorship. It will help us to bring you this show and keep the lights on. And we greatly appreciate it. All right. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>